Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week, we're back in Nashville for the second of three conversations recorded before a crowd at FunkFest, the amazing event hosted by Yazoo Brewing and Embrace the Funk. And sitting across from me on this episode is Mr. Garrett Oliver. He's the brewmaster of the Brooklyn Brewery. And he'll be coming up in just a moment. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There, you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or other shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Again, let me give praise to FunkFest. Brandon Jones and Linus Hall, two brewers that I've known for years, have put real thought into creating a tasting event that focuses on spontaneous fermentation, but also makes way for other delightful beers. With copious amounts of food, a great soundtrack, and alternative drinks like coffee and kombucha, that fest brings together brewers who are passionate about the beers they make, tradition, ingredients, and it's fun, easy, and informative. Jones asked me to host a series of panels during the fest, casual conversations with leading brewers on a variety of topics. So this week, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Mr. Garrett Oliver. As any fan of good beer knows, he is the brewmaster of the Brooklyn Brewery, the author of the Brewmaster's Table, the editor-in-chief of the Oxford Companion to Beer. He's been brewing craft beer since 1989 and is a veteran of over a thousand beer dinners and tastings in 16 countries. He was an original board member of Slow Food USA, and he later on to become a counselor of Slow Food International. In 2014, he was the recipient of the James Beard Award as the country's top drinks professional. And in 2020, he founded the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling, a 501c3 grant-making nonprofit organization that funds scholarships for technical education and brewing and distilling fields for people of color. And in 2022, he was enthroned by the Knights of the Brewer's Fork of Belgium, descendants of the ancient Brewer's Guild. We're going to talk about all of that. Recorded at FunkFest 2023 before an enthusiastic crowd, here's our conversation. Talk to me about the art of living well. Oh, man. Well, you know, I mean, I think that uh, what one thing people will know if they follow me on Instagram or whatever else is that, you know, my, my life does not revolve entirely in any way, shape, or form around beer. You know, in fact, many people... When looking at my Instagram, they're like, well, how long have you been a chef? I'm like, I've never been a chef. Uh, I'm very serious about cooking and I'm very serious about eating. Uh, and I think that, like, you know, living well is all about, like, not only just, uh, uh, you know, actually going out there and enjoying things, but it's about knowing what there is to enjoy. And I think that's, that's a big part of what I've tried to do with writing and whatever else. Because a lot of people don't even know what's out there for them to taste and okay. i think that i've discovered over time that uh when you don't put a lot of your ideas in front of people especially if you say well this is too outlandish for people to handle there's a word for that and the word for that is ego that's you telling yourself that you're special 
and they're not. Okay. You think you're saving them from something, you know, because, oh, they can't handle, like, heavily smoked things, or they can't handle, you know, you know, okay, she looks like she's about 80 years old, she's got a blue rinse, and so you don't want to serve her. You know the, uh, the 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 barrel age twelve percent whatever. I don't know why you got to bring my grandma into it. But that's <laughs> fine. Um. But the thing, the, but the thing I discovered over time is like, first of all, like who the hell do you think you are? Yeah. You don't even know who she is. You don't know where she's been. You have no idea what she's done, and you have already made a decision about what she can handle. And so part of the fun is really going all the way there and showing people what's on your mind and trying to show people something brand new to like. I'm trying to find something brand new to like every day. doesn't matter whether it's, 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 it's music or it's food uh, or it's drinks or like I would like to learn something and if I can add a little bit of that you know kind of DNA so to speak to my overall life that's something to know. And if I don't like it, well, that was a few seconds wasted maybe. Hopefully not a lot of money. But, you know, I, I don't regret trying things and not liking it. You know, it's kind of what, that's what taste is, isn't it? It's like you yeah. like some things, you don't like others. If you like everything, then you don't have any taste. So, there you go. The beer industry writ large is, I mean, it, it's, it's usually... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if people are often thinking about the finer things, or they're not thinking about taste or flavor all the time. Um, but these days, a, a lot of the conversation is, you know, what's new or what's rare, or you know, how can I post something on Instagram to sort of make somebody else jealous or show a bottle that I've gotten or something else like that. And the reason that I enjoy following you on social media is because you are opening up these new experiences. Um, you're getting people to think about things in a way that maybe they won't. And the other thing about sort of well living is, and we've had these conversations before, but like a lot of times if folks are out on the road selling beer, it's whatever we can do and get a meal standing up or, you know, we're going to have a bag of Doritos in our car kind of thing. And you have set these expectations of how you want to live your life when you're out in the beer space. And I, I, I really feel like it's, it's a lesson that we should all be paying attention to of like having a nice meal of stopping and having a conversation of, you know, not getting over your skis of not. And, 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 you lead by example with that. And I'm wondering why the industry hasn't followed you on that. Well, I think, you know, people live their everyday lives and everybody's busy, you know, et cetera. I've decided to prioritize certain things. And there's like a bunch of stuff that I just, you know, don't want to do. And I, there's a lot of things I want to do in life. And I think it's, impo- it's just as important, you know, in your day-to-day life to do the things you want to do, but it's also important not to do the things you don't want to do. And that may include, like, I'm not eating any stuff like that. For example, you know, if you got yogurt and the yogurt is fat-free yogurt, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just not, I'm not eating that. Yeah. I just won't eat it. I know I was, you know, listening to a whole thing about, like, how trigeminally, you know, your mouth perceives fat versus the things that are put various starches and gums and whatever else they put into these, you know, things. I mean, this morning at the hotel, and I'm not, you know, not staying at a great hotel, okay? So I went downstairs and I'm like, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I forgot my pour over rig, so I resigned myself to the not great coffee. 
And I whispered to the guys, like, guys, uh, my coffee, do you guys have any milk? They got 2% milk, and they had five different flavors of fake milk. They had almond milk. So they had real almond milk. They had 2% milk. And they had, a, a, you know, Cremora or whatever else in, in French vanilla and hazelnut. The thing that I couldn't get was milk. You just Which would have been, milk. you, you would have thought really milk. simple. Yeah. Can't have it. You know, and I'm kind of like, I realize that I'm spoiled because I don't live, like, I don't live in that world right. anymore. I did, you know, when I, I lived inside point. the Matrix in the 70s. You know, but since I got out and I learned about, you know, I took the red pill and I learned about the good things. I'm like, I don't want to like, I don't want to eat that anymore. I will leave the building and walk three blocks away and get myself a cup of coffee with some half and half or some cream in it. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I, I, I think that, you know. Yeah. And I, I, but the fact that you put the thought into it and the thought that you are willing to then walk those three blocks, I think is just something that we all need to be listening to for our own lives. You know, every time I, I, I have these conversations with you, I want to be a better person because you are just doing this in an uncompromising way. And I, I think your beers reflect that as well. Well, and I mean, what's interesting, Carlo Petrini, I worked for Slow Food for a number of years. I was one of the founders for Slow Food USA. And Carlo Petrini, who founded Slow Food, um, part of the uh, uh, manifesto of, of Slow Food was the idea of the defense of the right to pleasure. The defense of the right to pleasure. Now, the funny thing about, you know, I've learned a lot from the Italians. When you hear the word pleasure in English, it sounds vaguely dirty. Right? Pleasure. Not, You're like... Not even vaguely. Like, yeah, yeah, not even vaguely, right? right? Because we're all Puritans. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's yeah. like, Thank when you all. say pleasure to an Italian, there is nothing dirty about pleasure to Italian. It's like, pleasure is the thing that I'm trying to get in day-to-day -day life. I don't like pain. It hurts me. And you know, I like pleasure. It makes me happy. So, it turned out when they started Slow Food, which is kind of an eco-gastronomical movement, when they would go to raise money, you know, at an Italian company... And they would say, well, you want to preserve the land and you want to preserve, you know, your grandmother's tomato sauce and the real tomatoes that are needed to make it. Everybody understood what they were talking about. Right. You, you can't explain. You have a word in the United States like, oh, foodie. Someone is a foodie. I'm a foodie. They're a foodie. Try to explain to an Italian what a foodie is. It's like, well, it's a person for whom, you know, food and drink are some of the primary and most important pleasures in their life. And they're like... Who else is there? They don't really, they, like, they don't know anybody for whom that's not true. And so I kind of learned, you know, I learned from them uh, uh, about, you know, ab ab about that defense, the defending your time and defending, and that doesn't mean that you don't eat a greasy slice of pizza. It means that I like a greasy slice of pizza. Right. And I'm going to eat it when I want to eat it. Yeah. And when I would like something else, I'm not going to do it. I have three rules when I go out on the road with salespeople. And we love salespeople. You know, without <laughs> them, we can't sell our beer. For those but, listening in. But, yeah, you know, if you're, look, language it, emphasis on if this, you're being yeah. brought in from, you know, from, you know, the, 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 the home brewery and you're visiting another state and they're taking you, you might have five different things you're doing that day. Right. And then you have a beer tasting from 6 to 8.30, and then the beer tasting is over. 
if you're not careful, they will drop you off at the curb at 845 and say, see ya. Yeah. And now you're in town by yourself. You have So there are three rules. You know, if we're having a beer tasting and it's not a dinner, if it's a dinner, I eat the dinner. If it's not a dinner, it's like there has to one, there has to be dinner. Two, we have to be sitting down. Three, it cannot be at the venue. That's it. That's I don't, it. I, you know, I don't care what it is, but the things that that prevents, like, because they're like, oh, we already ate chicken wings at the bar. It's like, guess what? I just flew two hours out to your beautiful state to help you support whatever else, and I do not eat chicken wings standing up at a bar. That's what I'm not going to do today. <laughs> you know, like, I did not get on a plane to co- come talk for three hours what if and then really eat chicken wings. wings? Uh-uh. Sitting down, not right. at the venue. Okay. <laughs> and then I will eat the chicken wings. All right. How does this approach to your life... Actually, can you tell us what we're drinking? Uh, you know, well, I've got a bottle of I know, you're drinking I know. a bottle of Cantillon next Actually, what I got is, uh, is drinks of Cantillon. If you are... Well, first of all, I should tell you that if you are got our beer now, uh, uh, I, I will warn you, I will put it that way, that it is nine and a... Uh, well, more like eight and a half percent. Uh, that... That, 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 no, it's not 10 1. Uh, I'm thinking about the elements that went into it. Okay, so this is called Realm of Possibility. This beer started off as a beer that we used to make, uh, a Belgian strong golden called Local One. Uh, oh, uh, I remember you know, Local late Elemented yeah. before, before all the kids decided that, like, you know, they don't want 750 bottles because they don't have any friends in real life, you know, and they all, <laughs> you know. Oh, oh man. That no. shots fired at this crowd. Holy, holy crap. Hey, look. You know, for Did like 30, 30 years. I've been making beer professionally since 80, 1989, right? For 30 years, that bottle was fine. You would sit down, and it's like you have it with three or four of your friends. And a few years ago, people started to say, well, the bottle's too big. I'm like, too big for what? It's like, well, I can't drink it by myself. I was like, drink it by yourself? Why would you want to drink it by yourself? Don't you have any friends? And they kind of look away. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you don't have any friends, do you? You're, you're, you're at home drinking alone. You know, and it's like, damn, like, that, that, what a sad idea that is. I'll tell you what, the wine people don't have that problem. Like, they don't have that problem. They're like, you know, you get a bottle of wine, you're either an alcoholic and you drink that whole bottle yourself, or... You gotta find some people to drink it with, you know, which I think is a is a is a healthier thing. But I but I but I digress. Um, we don't do the 750 bottles anymore because you can't sell them. Uh, you know, there are some people who can sell them, and God bless them. If you are at a beautiful place like Jester King and you're surrounded by trees and you're there on property, people will drink those bottles all day long, and good for them. But you know, even Jester King's going to cans. Oh, man. Well, look, I don't hate, I'm not hating on cans. I'm just saying, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the mystique that we feel, they're like, yeah, yeah, Grandpa, let's get you back to bed. Uh, it's like, okay, fine. Uh, anyhow, this is a beer, uh, started off Local One. Then to this, we added Refraction, which is a beer that we made with uh, Russian River Brewery a couple of years ago. This was a really fun project. Vinny and I talked about making this beer for about 10 years, and we finally got around to it. In between, he built a little brewery in Windsor uh, with, it, with uh, an okay cool ship room. <laughs> and so the idea became, 
okay, you're going to take the cool ship beer, uh, the wort, you know, inoculated overnight, but not yet fermenting, shipped it cross country at 52 degrees. That was 30 barrels. We brewed 300 barrels of wort, blended them together, and then put it straight into barrels. So barrel fermented uh, uh, beer with 100% wild Sonoma yeast. That became refraction. So that's about 20% of this beer. The rest of it is local one infused with, uh, uh, with pomace, which is what you get when you squeeze off uh, uh, you know, your fermenting white or red wine. In this case, it was Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay. More Chardonnay than Sauvignon Blanc. So you have skin contact, you have a blend in of a fraction of, of wild beer, and then an underlying 9% uh, uh, Belgian Strong Golden. Hmm. And what I think, what, I, what we're trying to do with all of our beers, whether you're drinking Brooklyn Lager or you're drinking Black Chocolate Stout, is the qualities, bal- you know, balance, structure, and elegance. That's kind of, you know, the, you know, I, think, I don't think there's a Brooklyn Brewery house flavor, but there is a Brooklyn Brewery house feeling. And okay. F- okay, is it, it's a squeaky feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to drink this little splash of Cantillon. <laughs> You're living your in best life me. right now, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. If I'm like, there. I, I'm, I'm living that life and this yeah. life because I'm going to get some of that in a minute. But you know, here's the thing about the Cantillon as well. You know, balance, structure, and elegance. When when a lot of us will brew some of these uh, sour beers, we we might go sometimes really really sour with them, and then you go back and you drink Bone and you drink like Cantillon Goods, and you're like, they're not that far out there yeah you know the, the, the you know the, the, the funkiness is subtle everything kind of comes together in this really beautiful way and it, it is a useful thing to kind of go back to the source and you kind of realize oh there's a reason why these people are famous the world over yeah. for making wonderful stuff and you know so my, my, my problem isn't with cans it's with it it's with the the fact that we're not in the American beer industry really that interested these days in DNA from other cultures. Creative DNA. It's all now kind of a hothouse where it's like you basically marry your sister and you end up with idiot children. And the idiot children is basically uh, uh, thousands of hazy IPAs that taste exactly the same because you only drink things that are from your neighborhood. And like, you know, you, you don't drink anything from Belgium. You don't drink anything from Germany. You don't drink anything from. So all you know, basically, is this little weird ecosystem. We wouldn't even have craft beer if we hadn't traveled. You couldn't get the sort of stuff that we make in those days unless you traveled or you knew somebody who was importing it. And that's where we learn the stuff from. And then you're like, oh, well, if it's not from my neighborhood, I'm not really interested. It's like, really? You know, what a fun life you're leading. <laughs> so how much then does the way that you approach living your life show up in your beers? Increasingly. <laughs> but you've um, been doing this for a while. I, I, in thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about the cocktail-inspired beers that you were doing 15 years ago, the concoction based on the penicillin yeah. and what you were into outside of your beer life coming into your recipes. And how has that evolved? I think that's evolved from uh, taking not just flavor ideas, you know, but taking uh, uh, cultural ideas as well, 
often, I mean, uh, some people don't know this, but we were the brewery that invented collaborations. And by that, I mean that there were no collaborations in craft beer before us. Is that true? I am 400 years old. I have always been here. And when all of you are dust, <laughs> I will still be here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, it's like... That's not I, creepy I, I, at all, Gary. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's, 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 it, like that is, that, you know, festival and you're telling everybody about their mortality and you're I, I was, that, that, li- <laughs> that, that line is literally from Dracula. You know, uh, uh, you know, th- there's like, I have crossed oceans of time to be with you. Um, but it's true. I mean, uh, I, 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 I have, and it's like, um, I've s- <laughs> being around, yeah. look, if you're, if you're 26, you know, and you're, 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 you're spry, you're good looking, whatever else. You have some advantages, right? You have some advantages. You're new I can't or really, whatever else. Yeah. There are advantages. It's like, you get to my age, you got to use what you got. And what I've got is that I've seen, you know, uh, I, I've seen and done more things than you possibly could have. Might be the only advantages I've got, but I'm going to press it. I'm going to use every bit of what I have. And so there are things that I'm going to end up knowing that you haven't gotten to yet. And that, that's what I kind of bring to bear, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the work. So increasingly, I'm, I'm mining different areas, you know, uh, uh, of my life, as you say. When it comes to, I'm learning about, I mean, I'll give you an example. I was at a party the other day for the, uh, it was a uh, showing for the TV show Sh- Shark Tank. Okay. And my friends at a, uh, at a company called Burlap and Barrel. You know, they do uh, very, very ethically sourced best spices in the world. I mean, really amazing stuff. And they, go, they know every family that they're buying from. And yes, their spices cost five, six, ten times as much as McCormick, but they're also ten times better. Okay. Great stuff. So they went on, on Shark Tank. At the party, the viewing party, I met a guy named Yao Zhou. And Yao Zhou has a company called 50 Hertz. And it's called 50 Hertz because that is, the, that is the, uh, the wavelength or the frequency of the signal that Sichuan peppercorns give you. That feeling like you put your tongue you know, to a 9-volt battery. Yeah. It actually, they figured out what the, what, the, what the frequency is, and it's 50 Hertz. Okay. So he imports the very best Sichuan peppercorns by far that I've ever had. So now... You heard a beer once with Szechuan. I haven't yet, but I'm about to. Think? Okay. Now, when you get really fresh, and you usually don't get fresh, you get really fresh green Szechuan peppercorns. We usually see red. They smell like a blend of hops, weed, and citrus. I mean, just amazing aromatics. And so right now, I'm looking to figure out, okay, first of all, how do I get that aromatic? And then how much of that kind of weird sensation which is not spicy heat is not capsaicin right it's a different thing how much of that can we add to a beer before you over, get over weird and don't steal it i'm planning to make a beer called electric saison okay and i wanted to have that aromatic you have and about two weeks to trademark this before yeah, yeah, this goes yeah, out yeah, on the podcast worry, I'm, I'm, I'm already on like somebody in the back is already now yeah, just yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, uh, Some home but brewer. the thing is, if I wasn't at that party, right. if I didn't know the guys from Barrel Up and Barrel, if I wasn't into spices, I wouldn't have met Yao Zhou, which I wouldn't now be thinking about Sichuan peppercorns. It's like, it's really a direct line of being around food and drink people all the time. 
It's basically everybody that I know yeah. in my day-to-day life. And so in that regard, I'm not saying I don't care about politics or I don't care about movies or whatever else. But in the end, I'm really actually pretty shallow. (laughs) It's like food and drink is like the main thing on my mind. Don't do it. (laughs) Uh, uh uh, a lot of the time, and so did you I just have, will I have that focused. sign to stand back up? The force has a uh, can have a strong wow. effect upon the weak willed. My God, <laughs> <laughs> he can control inanimate objects simply with the sound of his voice. Yeah. Um, I will have a splash of realm of possibility if uh, yeah. we got a few bottles still that standing, standing by. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, has everybody like this? I hope you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's all right. It's sitting there, like kind of warm. But I think it's kind of at a at a perfect temperature now. So, so yeah, I think that you know those life experiences. I'm like channeling what's exciting me right now, uh, you know, to the best of my ability. There are, I, food and beer have been central to. I, I think a lot of your contributions to the larger industry and to consumers. And uh, in an email, uh, you, you told me uh, before this, uh, we are now at the 20-year anniversary of the Brewmasters table. Yeah, Monday. Monday will be the uh, official 20-year anniversary, May, the, May, yeah. May 8th, uh, uh, 2003. So, 20 years and still on the shelf. You know, it's a uh, which. I, I, that book, I, I mean, when, when, when the histories are written, is one of the most important books on the subject of beer that has been written in the last, you know, let's say 50 years. Um, it has helped people understand flavors. It has helped people understand relationships better. Um, it, ha- it has really, I think, launched you know, thousands of careers, uh, both in food and, and, and in beer. And I'm not, I'm not trying to just, you know, fluff you up here. No, keep going. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But tell me more about how great I am. Um, in the 20 or so years though, because that work was so important and I, I, I think started so many conversations. I don't know if we're still having those conversations. Um, and I don't know if it's just people taking it for granted because, you know, it's just everywhere now. Uh, there's 9,000 plus breweries in the U.S. and everybody's doing something with something. And, you know, we, we, we're not as dialed in as we used to be. But 20 years out from that book now, where do you see the relationship with beer and food? I think that, you know, it, it's something that we've incorporated a little bit more, you know, into our everyday lives. I don't see huge strides necessarily in the restaurant world, you know, and that's as economic as it is about as it is anything else. You know, if you there's no way that we as the beer industry are going to be able to go into the restaurant and and say to them, it's like, well, you know, you know that wine that you bought for thirty dollars and you sold for ninety dollars, making sixty dollars just on this one bottle. I'd like to replace that with this beer. It's not going to yeah. yeah, which means that you know, you're basically telling somebody, I would like to close your restaurant. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is not something that anybody wants to hear. So I don't really, I don't do sales, but if I'm talking to a beverage manager, they're like, well, what should we do? I'm like, what you want is a check add-on and a half your customer, right? You want a higher check average, not lower. 
you want better margin and you want a happy customer where you have built a little bit of relationship. You can show the customer something brand new to like, and right. that can happen. You know, so if you instead of selling somebody like a glass of dessert wine, maybe you sell them an imperial stout that is great with the cheese or great with dessert, and they're shocked. And that shock and delight together is something they've learned something they can then take home and use in day-to-day life. We underestimate, I think, what you can do by some twiny little thing that makes somebody's life 2% better. 2%. I've learned about beer and food and that dinner can be a little bit better every day than it was before. Maybe that's 5% better. Right. You eat dinner every day, right? If dinner is like 5 or 10% better every day, chicken that's, chicken a, chicken that's chicken. a slightly better day. If you can manage to eke out a slightly better day, you know, if you learn something new like that, you know, uh, 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 every week, yeah. you'd reach nirvana in a couple of years. Um, and so, but I kind of feel is like... Is the conversation harder, though? The conversation is harder because we've wandered away from, you know, the idea of, of beer style. You know, and... I, I think a lot of people misunderstand beer style. They also misunderstand, like, my relationship with it. Okay. You know, because they're like, you know, I've been called like a style Nazi. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, actually, most of the beers that I brew are not in any definitive style. Right. Brooklyn Lager, what style is that? What style is it? American Amber Lager. Okay. We, we won gold medals at World Beer Cup for it, so it must okay. be. I mean, we're... Progenitors of it as a style. It's kind of based on Viennese beers, but then dry hopped, etc. But we don't. I don't feel a need. Like, what's what style is realm of possibility? I haven't even thought about that. It's like not a style. It's a beer, right? But style has a super important place. And as consumers, you might not care about this, but I think that you should. But style essentially. I hate to put it this way, but style is power. It's raw cultural power. When I can say to you, brown ale, American brown ale, and you know exactly what I'm talking about in three words. You can taste it. You can smell it. You know what the history is of it. You have a pretty good idea that it's not going to be a porter. You know, and it's not going to be amber. It's going to have this. You know that it's going to have some chocolate malt and it's going to have some. You can form an idea in your head. That is absolutely pure power from that is what the french know that we don't know that is why there will never be red champagne because when you say what champagne is champagne is this and it's not that and that is why people pay money for it because if you don't value this thing yourself yeah people don't love french food more than they love other food they don't love it more than they love thai food when you have a great french meal you know, do you feel better? Are you happier than when you eat, you know, great Thai food? When you eat? No. I mean, great Thai food is unbelievable. Yeah. But you will not pay as much money. And part of that is, you know, is cultural with some racism okay. blended into that. But also the fact that anywhere you go in the world, if you say to chef, make me hollandaise sauce, hollandaise sauce means one thing. One thing. If you add a flavoring to holiday sauce, it's not holiday sauce anymore. You, you, yeah, like you add tarragon, it's Bernays. You add curry, you know, it's sauce Chiron. If you make any deviations whatsoever, it takes on a different name, and you can then explain it. Just like that. So the codification 
is a framework for where to start. Learn the classics, you know, know how to brew them, and then branch out. And because we have wandered away from that, yeah. you can remember all of this. 20 years ago, you had to tell people what an IPA was. Right. And you explained the whole thing about, like, shipping from Britain to, you know, to <laughs> India and whatever else. Then 10 years ago, you didn't have to tell anybody. Everybody knew what IPA was. Right. Now, you can't tell anybody what IPA is because you don't know. IPA doesn't actually mean anything. All right. So... <laughs> That's the second shot that you fired uh, on IPAs uh, in the in, in the course of this conversation. And before we got started, uh, so we're here at Funk Fest, and uh, Will is pouring your beers, and he's been helping out with us. And he came up to you before we started uh, and said that your Brooklyn Lager uh, was his entryway into craft beer. And I think that that's true for a lot of those styles. It's 35 years old now. Um, I know it was one of my early beers. Uh, Sierra Pale was up there. Red Hook ESB. I mean, some of the Rogue beers. There are all these beers that those of us who have been around long enough can point to as an entry point because there wasn't a lot of choice out there. When the entry point for somebody newly minted at 21, let's just say that they're they're doing it the right way or, you know, legally, um, is endless choice of IPA that, why, that varies wildly from what it used to be and where it is. Does that concern you as a brewer about what the next generation of beer drinkers might dictate for the overall industry? No, it concerns me about what they're going to know. Okay. Uh, because, you know, if you decide after tasting all these different things that, you know, Hazy Juicy IPA is the thing that you want, great. But not knowing... You know, is 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 the you know is the the sin if you like, you know, to to, to have to, to and and to not be interested, um, and so when you say we're all, I only really drink things in my neighborhood, it means that you're not interested in the rest of the world, which is the great American sin. You know, we actually believe. You know, if you go to São Paulo, Brazil, and you go out to like the market, you know, there's a big food market. You kind of realize you don't know anything about fruit. Okay, raise your hand. How many people here know where cashew nuts come from? Like from what kind of plant? It's a, it's a tree. Okay. So let me tell you. The, ca the cashew, you know, grows. It's a big tree. It grows a fist-sized green fruit. It's very juicy. It's a particular flavor. At the bottom of that fruit hangs one little furry pod, and inside that pod is one cashew nut. You've been eating cashews your whole damn life, and you have no idea whatsoever what it is. If this sounds like a shock to you, when you go to the you know, the, the, the you don't know we don't know anything. We know like thirty or forty fruit. A Brazilian person knows a hundred and fifty, right? Who's having more fun? Sure, you know, like them or us, and so. I, I, I think that, like, not knowing the, the, the rest of this stuff is the problem. Like, I don't mind, like, whatever people want to brew. I love, like, I go buy other half and pick up, you know, uh, hazy, juicy IPAs from them all the time. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. It's part of my, you know, uh, uh, group of things that I like. 
But what was I drinking all last night with all this wonderful stuff when we were here at the party? Yeah. Blind Pig. Yeah. All night. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I can't, can't get any Blind Pig in New York. I know. You so. want to see people get into trouble. You put a bunch of uh, beer industry professionals and inexplicably a couple of writers uh, in a room where we can pour our own Blind Pig and... <laughs> The night takes a turn at some point. Yes. And it's, uh, well, the, 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 the bourbon uh, didn't help. The bur- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or did it? Yeah, um, or, or, or did it. It helped me you know, in some ways. But no, I think one thing, when I, when I yeah. said I, I, I've done things where I interview other brewers, and a lot of them are, you know, brewers making a lot of funky, wild, barrel-aged, whatever else. Yeah. And I'll ask them, so, like, what's your bet noir? What is the thing that you feel is the dark side that you've always wanted to do, but you just feel like people wouldn't accept it for you, from you? And they all kind of turn their eyes away, and they're like, I really want to brew Pilsner, man. <laughs> you know, every, like, every brewer in their heart really wants to brew great Pilsner. Because a great Pilsner is one of the best things in the world. And if you haven't done it, you don't know how good you are yet. You have done it. So what's your answer to that question? Uh, to what, what I, yes, I would like to brew really great Pilsner. Okay. We brew, you know, we brew really nice Pilsner and yeah. I will happily drink it every day. But like, there is definitely a part of me that wants to make like Schoenrammer kind of just like go all the way there. Will the consumer, you know, on a broad basis in the 30-something countries in which we sell beer, except something like Schoenrammer? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Now, will I brew that at the brewery and put it on draft? Absolutely. Uh, and I get a chance to, like, play in my own playground. But, you know, you have commercial realities. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't love, you know, your everyday beers. But it's the same for chefs. Yeah. I know chefs. I'm, I was reading a, a, a cookbook that isn't out yet. I'm going to provide a blurb um, where they talk about taking, you know, killing your darlings, taking their the favorite thing off the menu because it's been there for like five, six years and people are screaming. Yeah. And I still have, there's one or two dishes I still haven't forgiven them for taking off the menu. Um, in that vein, your brewery and Sriracha Ace, that's that for me. Yes. And uh, you know, I feel I feel absolutely the same way. I you know that was the only the only idea that I ever had where I felt like something just spoke to me. I tasted an ingredient, and I could have turned around right there and written the recipe for sriracha ace on the back of a napkin really? in thirty seconds. Really, it told me exactly what it wanted to do and what it wanted to be, and it was like that that aha moment that you hope as a creative person you're going to get yeah you know your whole life it happened once and that was sriracha and that was it huh yeah i never had something that was like that it just went boom and it's such a a weird hop and we basically made that hop i mean you know uh, darren gamash will tell you we made that hop but of course you know uh we are engaged in fashion we like to think that we're not we like to think that we're in this beautiful immutable thing but we're all engaged in fashion, and things go, you know come into fashion, they go out of fashion. And all Belgian beers, I know. Uh, uh, as much as we all love them here, I mean, a beer like Duvel, you could have. I mean, Duvel was in every decent restaurant in New York City. It was on every beer list. I was, I was jealous. You know, it was in every corner store. I haven't seen a Duvel in a long time. I haven't seen a Chimay in a long time. You know, you don't see Orval all over the place like you used to. The Belgians are kind of gone. 
I mean, you can find them. Right. But you got to go looking for them now. Whereas I didn't used to have to go looking for them. Literally, yeah, just my corner yeah. deli. It, it, you know, the, the the basics were in there. You might have to look harder to find Saison Dupont, but now, I mean, go and try to find There's Saison most Dupont. Most decent bodegas would have. They would have, yeah, but yeah. they don't anymore. Okay, that all that now space. Now it's nineteen point two ounce cans of hazy. Uh, uh, of hazy, that's it. Yeah, all local, <laughs> and all old. <laughs> <laughs> There is a theme that is emerging in these talks uh, because Vinny was saying the same thing. Um, I'm getting mindful of time and there's a lot that I want to get through. But uh, one of the things, you, you were talking about culture, you were talking about creativity. Um, uh, you obviously think a lot about ingredients. And you introduced me on this email uh, to an African super grain known as Phonio. And... I, I watched the, the the TED talk that you sent over uh, about this, and I'm and I'm fascinated by it, and what beer's relationship with it can be uh, going forward. So for those who are not on our email chain, which is I think everybody aside from the two of us, um, tell us a little bit about it, and then what it speaks to, you, uh, how it speaks to you. Well, I mean, f- first of all, Fonio Fonio is a millet type. Uh, it is one of the oldest cultivated grains in the world. It's been grown, you know, through Central Africa, just south of the Sahel, for about five thousand years. It's been cultivated. Uh, it was one of the uh, foods that you know colonial powers came in and basically swept out. You know, the the, the whole idea of colonialism is that we are going to come and we're going to take everything, everything that you have. We're going to take it. We're going to take your food. And we're going to replace it with our food. You've been growing this. Now you're going to grow wheat and corn. We're going to take your language. We're going to take all your money. We're going to take all of your minerals. We're taking everything and we will leave you with nothing. That's colonialism. And that's what they did throughout that part you know, of Africa. And they, at the same time, they told people that the food they've been eating for 5,000 years, that's dirty food. That's like not sophisticated. What you want is this which we're now going to show you how to grow. So how are wheat and corn grown? Almost entirely with enormous amounts of inputs. You need uh, irrigation. You need fertilizer, nitrate fertilizer. Uh, You need uh, uh, pesticides. You need fungicides. You need all these various things. Fonio just grows. It can grow, you know, it can rain three times in a year, and Fonio will give you two crops you know, uh, uh, a year. No pesticides, no fertilizer, no fungicides, nothing. Naturally organic, ridiculously nutritious, and that is exactly what the French in Senegal, where I just was, didn't want. Because the people who are working in the government, they then cannot have their friend who sells a nitrate fertilizer and is paying them off selling the, the nitrate fertilizer in to support the system. Huh. But the thing is, you know, nitrate fertilizer is made from oil. You remember the nitrate explosion that happened in Beirut? Like, you know, thing went off like a nuclear... It's like, it's oil. Two years ago, yeah. Yeah. It's oil. So the way we make our food is we dump oil on the land. When you put ethanol in your car and you think that it's greener... No, we dumped oil on the land, we grew the corn, we broke down the corn, we fermented it into ethanol, and it's lost 20% of its energy value. And what is that 20%? That's the profit. Those guys got paid, and then our government pays the farmers 
you know, a crop subsidy. And then, the, you know, the, the guy who's paying, who got the crop subsidy pays for your Senate campaign. That's the way the whole thing works. It's a stitch up. So the food yeah. is now being brought back by the chef, Pierre Chiam, Fonio. Uh, it's a beautiful grain. It cooks up in like five minutes like couscous. Sure. And if you use it in beer, it turns out that it makes this beautiful beer that smells like Gewürztraminer, like really? goose- gooseberries and, uh, uh, and lychee fruit and all these wonderful flavors. And it has its own kind of amino acid-like bitterness that's reminiscent of sake. All these beautiful flavors. Huh. And the thing is, beer is from Africa. Yes. You know, beer is from Africa, north, south, east to west. Every uh, society has its own, you know, brewing tradition. If you go to South Africa, it's Unkomboti. If you go to the Congo, it's Bilbil. You know, they'll be based on different grains, but brewing is central to almost all African societies. In some cases, if they became Islamic countries, that's been set aside or is just like in the villages on the side. But everywhere that you go, people have traditional beer. Um, And so as an African-American brewer... I've always been offended by the idea that, like, well, you know, beer is European. Beer's not European. That's like saying food is European. Like, wine is European. Wine's not European. <laughs> like, have you been around the rest of the world? Yeah. You know, it's like your idea of what you value in wine may be European. And I love these wines, too, but don't get ahead of yourself. You don't even know what fruit is. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, like... And you got to tell people like what's what's valuable. Yeah. You only had twenty percent of it. So we are what we're looking to do with our brewing with Fonio is a few things. One, you know, you have a perfect grain for the future of climate change, which is here. Yeah. Uh, uh, two, we're supporting small whole farmers directly on the ground in Senegal, Mali. Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Ghana, Togo, etc. So you know where your uh, orders are going. We know where yeah. our orders are going. And for these projects, uh, and I stole this wholeheartedly from uh, uh, the farmer, Chris Newman, community is the deliverable of the project. And I'll say that again. Community is the deliverable. Normally, we go to people and we're like, can you get me a lower price so that I can get my higher margin on running a business? We do not ask these folks that question our question is what do you need in order to grow your business uh provide wealth for your family and get yourself a better future that's the first question you eat first and then we figure out how we're going to make a profit which is not going to be your problem okay and in those beers that is how we are doing business so you know now right now we have ten thousand barrels of uh, uh of fonio uh, Brugutter Fonio uh, Session IPA, 10,000 hectoliters, going into 1,200 co-op stores in the UK. Okay. Most people have never heard of Fonio, but yeah. when they do hear of Fonio and they realize what it is and what it does and how good every aspect of its production is for the earth, for your body, for you know low glycemic index, everything, they want to know more about it. Yeah. And so you find that like not knowing is has a cost, and we we simply accept that the food that we have in front of us is the food, uh, but that isn't true. Yeah, <laughs> I like that you are continuing to lead these conversations and to bring them out 
and, and to introduce us to or you know introduce beer people at least to new flavors uh new ingredients and new ways of thinking about things and i i know you've always been doing this in your career but it's nice that you're not just coasting off of something from 35 years ago um, no, I, I like to tell people, and I appreciate you know you're saying that is because uh, people often will want to come and they want to interview me about you know how things were in the beginning, and I'll you know often I'll reject those interviews. It's like I'm not a historical figure. In, 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 <laughs> like, in, I'm, I, like I'm, I mean, truth, I mean, like, like, told, I'm 400 years old, but was, I'm still here. I was one of those people, and you ignored my emails on that, and I had to write <laughs> the story anyway. And it's not I'm like, like I don't, hey, Garrett, tell me about the 80s. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm like you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, I'm like I'm moving forward. You know, I like I I love tell I I could tell stories for days about you know the 80s and the 90s. And I don't mind as long as it's yeah. balanced. Yeah. With you know the thing that's exciting. I mean, I'm friends with a band in New York. You know, called LCD Sound System. I've heard. And of I, you know, and I remember one time this is before their last album came out, and they hadn't had a new album for quite a while, and they were complaining. It's like like we're a cover band. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like we're covering ourselves from 10 or 15 years ago, and I feel like a cover band. Like we're not those people anymore, and that's why their, you know, their farewell concert. Thankfully, they came back. Was called "Shut Up and Play the Hits," because that's what people, yeah, often will ask the them. Simpsons it's like, line. It's just skip to the good part. Yeah, yeah. skip to the good part. Play, play working overdrive. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and James will go on stage. He says, "Look, I know you people get really nervous, but here's the way this is gonna go." We're going to play you three or four of your favorite old songs. Then we're going to play one or two songs from the new album, but don't wait. Don't wait, wait. Calm down. Then we're going to play you a few more of the older songs. You know, then we'll play you maybe one song from the new album. It'll, it'll be fine. And then we'll go back and we'll play you some of the old songs. And everybody starts laughing, but it's kind of true. Yeah, but you have to, But if you walk it out to, to folks. Yeah. Um, I am mindful of time because Avery Swanson is coming up next. Um uh, and, I'm glad and, I do not have to follow Avery Swanson. And, and, and <laughs> I, 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 I know the important work that you're doing uh, with the Michael James Jackson's Foundation. Uh, it is on your jacket. Um, I, I there it is. Garrett is showing up and showing the. Um, we could obviously talk for hours on the importance of it, the growth of it, uh, the the future projections of it. Um, Mindful of time, though, what is your call to action for the foundation right now? Well, I mean, what we're doing right now, we're on a fundraising drive. So uh, Athletic Brewing has stepped up. They put down a $100,000 challenge grant, you know, uh, uh, and they will match up to $100,000 of donations, you know, which is actually what we spend in tuition every year, you know, um, and uh, it's a 100% volunteer organization. We don't have any employees, so 95 plus percent of the money, you know, goes directly into tuition. And we're providing scholarships for people of color in brewing and distilling for technical education. So we have people doing master brewery right now in Germany. Uh, they just got back. They're sending pictures, you know, with uh, with Frank Bone and and whatever else. And here's the thing I would say to you. I mean, uh, especially those of you who are brewers, one um, percent. Of the people, you know, in the brewing industry, well, actually, three percent of you take all people that you might consider people of color. Actually, in the brewery, is three percent. The United States is 42, 43 percent people of color. This is not. This is like a stupid business model 
you know, regardless of what you think uh, uh, from a moral point of view or whatever else, because if you separate people out from your culture, guess what? They're going to feel separated. Uh, and you're like, well, maybe they're not interested. Oh, no, they're very interested. It's just like, you know, they don't know anybody who even works inside your company, etc. And people would say to me, it's like, well, why don't people of color just go to the regular beer festival? Look around. Okay, now take your own mind and reverse it, right? You show up, you show up to a thing and there are three white people <laughs> at the whole thing. And when, you, and when you walk up to the counter, people talk to you as if you don't know what you're talking about, even though you've been brewing for 20 years. And you just came from an eight-hour day and you would like to go relax. Would this be how you would relax? No! No, it doesn't mean that like you're a racist. It means that you're a human. You would like to chill out. And when you know, uh, uh, everybody says, well, everybody's very friendly. They are very friendly. But it's like if you showed up and uh, every time you wanted a great cocktail or you wanted a craft beer, everybody, there was nobody else in the room who looked like you, trust me, you probably wouldn't go there. I mean, not very often, you know, because you're a human who, yeah. like, wants to chill. And it turns out that when you get everybody together, you know, Fresh Fest, you know, uh, now known as uh, 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 Barrel and Flow, that was the first time I saw an actually fully integrated beer festival. And people were crying. They were spontaneously crying all over the place, you know, because they were so happy to see each other. And you just realize, like, wow, it's really cool when everybody's here, you know, and it looks like America. Our industry doesn't look like America at all. Yeah. And I think it will be a much better industry uh, creatively uh, uh, and also economically morally because that's the person we see when we look in the mirror only it's not true it wasn't true for me either i required two to three years of experience or this certificate never thought about how i that that simple rule shut out 98 percent of people you know from different backgrounds who might come to my front door never thought about it. i'm just like i want the best people best people have two or three years experience or they can show me this certificate hey hang on garrett just this is uh ooh, thank you and so, you know, before you go pointing you know, a finger at anybody else, you first got to look in the mirror and face some truths. You know, and it turns out racism isn't a feeling. It's a system and it's an effect. It's what happened. And it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're black. If you if you if that's what you carried out and that's what happened, then the system that you were carrying out was in fact racist. And believe me, that is a hard thing as a black person to look in the mirror and figure out about yourself. You know, so what we are doing with, in the MJF is we can't handle the whole thing, but we can do our little bit so that you do not have to go deeply into debt because we know that, you know, that, that, that there is no money in your family, right. probably. You know, to back you up to get this $20,000 certificate. So it's like, you go handle your studies, and we'll handle this part. And then just you go do your thing. I like, I, I, it is, in the in the two years that uh, that you've been doing this, it is remarkable to see the growth of it. And I'm glad that it's continuing on, and people are seeing the value in it. 29 awardees so far, and, and more to come. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry we didn't have more time to talk about this, but uh, Garrett Oliver, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you, folks. Uh, thank you for your time.
My thanks again to Linus and Brandon. Questions, comments, concerns, you can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me about it on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. You can follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, and really, I hope you are, Email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. For you smoked beer fans out there, check out This Week in Rauk Beer. The Facebook group is easy to search, and on Twitter and Instagram, we are at TWRaukBeer. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.